Today's scripture reading is from Jonah, chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 4, from the Common English Bible. That's page 1,122 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and declare against it the proclamation that I am commanding you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's word. Now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days walk across. Jonah started into the city, walking one day, and he cried out, just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes from the greatest of them to the least significant. When word of it reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, stripped himself of his robe, covered himself with mourning clothes, and sat in ashes. Then he announced, in Nineveh, by decree of the king and his officials, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock, will taste anything, no grazing and no drinking water. Let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes, and let them call upon God forcefully, and let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. He thought, who knows? God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. God saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior. So God stopped planning to destroy them and didn't do it. But Jonah thought this was utterly wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Come on, Lord, wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier. I know that you are merciful and compassionate God very patient, full of faithful love, and willing not to destroy. At this point, Lord, you may as well take my life from me, because it would be better for me to die than to live. The Lord responded, is your anger a good thing? Hear now the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, this morning we've got a guest, a speaker, preacher with us, Allison Coventry, Reverend Allison Coventry will be joining us. She's an ordained elder in the Free Methodist Church, and some of you may remember her because she was on staff here at First Free, what do we figure out, 2015 to 2017, you were here? Ish, yeah. yeah ish, right, we made up numbers. Okay, that's good. She, she was on staff, so some of you already know her. Um, she is now the, a leadership development consultant for the Pacific Northwest Conference. That's a, that's a long title. That's the longest title I think anybody ever had, right? So. Yeah. That's great. We're working on it. We're working on it. We had to, we'll, we'll put a bunch of letters together and make it. So, but one of the things uh, we have uh, gotten, to know, I've gotten to know Allison over the years as well, working with, uh, with other pastors in the area. And every, the thing I learned about Allison is not only, I knew this about her, she loves to exercise, but we're on a Zoom call. You know, we've been doing Zoom calls like all year. We're on a Zoom call with a bunch of other pastors and like, I can see Allison on the screen. She's like bobbing around and. She's kind of out of breath, and she's having a hard time talking. I'm like, what is she doing? And she's on a Zoom call on her stationary bike getting her exercise, right? This week, I was on a phone call with Allison, right? We were talking about, I forget what we were talking about, and she's on a run. So she's like talking to me as she's running where I don't even know where you were running this week, but every time I talk to you, you're on a bike, you're running, or even when we get together, we're walking along the canal path or whatever. So, and she has a love for the outdoors. So Allison and I are, are, great colleagues because we both like some of the same things 
but I don't do that. I don't like, <laughs> I don't get on my bike on a Zoom call. Because you're a better pastor than I am. Yeah. So, no, it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> uh, I just want to be focused. <laughs> anyway, we love having Allison here, and she's got a really challenge. I want to say that she's got a challenging message for us today. It's a good message. It's a challenging message because it may take that understanding that you learned in Sunday school about Jonah and may just give you some new insight into who Jonah was. So let's pray for Allison as she comes. God, thank you for Allison. Thank you for your love for her and for all of us as we sit here uh, together under your grace. And we pray, God, that uh, thanking you for Allison. Thank you for her gifts. Thank you for the ways that the Holy Spirit has been speaking into her life this week as she prepares this message for us. And Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to hear from the Holy Spirit today as we hear this message about Jonah today? Would you uh, challenge us? Would you comfort us? Would you do whatever you want to do in our lives today, we pray, and through Allison today, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Well, uh, this morning I've been doing that awkward thing that you do, you know, post-COVID, where you're like, do I go in for the hug? Is it a handshake? Is it like a distant wave? So uh, know in my heart of hearts, I'm so glad to be with you that I, I'm hugging all of you, if I know you. Uh, Pre-COVID, I may have hugged you anyways. Uh, but uh, And for those of you at home that I am not getting to see, um, it is so good to be with you at first free uh, and uh, virtually even here with you. But um, I've been living in Seattle for 12 years now, and uh, one of the things that I have done as I have lived here is every year I check out the rankings for where our city of Seattle stands in the rankings for the worst traffic in the United States. Uh, and I just looked this up here in 2021, where we are recently, according to some, is that we are tied with Chicago for third worst traffic in the United States. Even if you find some other statistics on this, you always find Seattle is in the top five for worst traffic. And what I have learned in all of my years spent stuck on I-5 and the time spent moving only inches an hour, it seems, in downtown gridlock is that traffic is a great tester and revealer of character. Uh, how many of you know that delight that you feel when uh, you have your lane and it seems to be the only one that is moving? And also know, though, the extreme frustration that hits you instantly when your lane, for no apparent reason, comes to a complete just starts progressing forward. Uh, for me, now it's on. Uh, I want to win this traffic game. So what I do is I look and I identify a target. I identify a target to beat. That one car or that one truck in the lane next to me. You know that one that you seem to be having forth with while you're going in. Comes to break away. Claire by pulling ahead of my target, all because of my clever lane-changing moves. Well, here's what you have to understand about me. I moved to Seattle from New York, where driving is an aggressive sport. So you don't give away an inch 
And if you want to merge, you need to show me that you are serious. Uh, but when I moved to Seattle, I had to open myself to the spiritual discipline of generously yielding to pedestrians, no matter where they chose to cross. Uh, and doing this crazy thing that, that you do here in traffic, um, where you let someone merge in just because they turn on a turn signal. Uh, there are all these things that I want for myself when I'm driving in traffic that I am so reluctant to give to others when I'm driving. Uh, I see my dark side. My dark side, when I look over and I see the cars backed up for miles going in the opposite direction on I-5, and then I get that smile and that good feeling that my side is enabling me to move at a solid 45 miles an hour, uh, I'm still taking victory laps, okay, a couple years ago, and I'm doing it right here now, and I, I feel good about it, where I was going to an event in the U District, and you know how it is, like you're trying to find a parking spot, you're trying to get to your event, and sure enough, right there in front of the venue, a car pulls out and a spot opens up, and I move right into that spot, and here's what brought me an extra piece of delight. Those of you who remember Pastor Raul, who used to pastor here, he was going to the same event, and he was the person right behind me. So I went ahead in a very mature fashion, and I rubbed it into Raul, how easy it was to find that parking spot and how favor rests on me. I think there's this thing in all of us that we all like it when things go our way. When favor rests on our plans. When things open up for us to move forward. But isn't it interesting how quickly we get annoyed or angry when our lane doesn't move. Uh, when it like others are getting ahead for no reason. When you are at Safeway and a checkout clerk opens a new lane and calls over that other person and you're still stuck behind the slowest person in the universe in your lane and inside we think no fair. Or is that just me? <laughs> Why do we think and act as if we are so deserving? Uh, well, First Free has been in a series called Prophets, Priests, and Kings, exploring some key people of the Old Testament. And today I want uh, to take a deeper look at a famous, often misunderstood person and prophet named Jonah. Uh, on the one hand, Jonah, you know, he's one of those Bible characters that's almost too familiar, too overhyped to us. It's like a go-to children's story. You see Jonah painted on walls in random Sunday school rooms. It makes for a great coloring book character and activity. Uh, and on the other hand, it's interesting, you can actually pull up data from Bible Gateway, the Bible reading app. And I looked it up and it says that Jonah is one of the least read stories in all of the Bible. Which is why I think it might be easy for us to miss the actual punchline of the story. You know, the story of Jonah is a story of character. And it's a story that's meant to hold a mirror up to ourselves and help us notice 
how we view ourselves, how we view ourselves in relationship to how we view others, and what is our expectation when it comes to God's movement in and love for people. Well, during diving into the book of Jonah, I think it should come with a warning label. So Pastor Matt gave you a little bit of a warning label. Let me give you another one here this morning. This is a story that is meant to push your buttons. It's meant to step on your toes. It's meant to challenge your way of thinking. So here's what I want to ask of you this morning. Are you willing to join me in looking beyond the fish and the fairy tale? Are you willing this morning to allow Jonah to mess with you, to surprise you, to provoke you, and in a wonderful way, open you up to experiencing more of who God is and how God works in the world? Well, uh, to bring us all up to speed, Jonah is this short story, and it's broken up into four easy-to-read chapters. And I'm going to have us focus in on chapter 3, which is really the climax of the story. And also, we hear a surprising plot twist. So as a quick overview, uh, there's this prophet named Jonah who's told by God to go to the great city of Nineveh and calls the people out for their wrongdoing. And famously, Jonah does the opposite of what God tells him to do. It's like Jonah is supposed to get uh, on a plane in Chicago and fly to Seattle, but what Jonah does is he gets on the plane in Chicago and flies to Miami. He finds the place farthest away that he can go from where he's at. Kids, VBS or Sunday school, and they can fill in the next part. You probably know the next part yourself. You know, here's Jonah. He's on a boat. Uh, there's a storm that pops up, and he gets hurled overboard and swallowed by a great fish. So in chapter 2, we hear him pray, and Jonah sings from the belly of the fish, and the fish ends up vomiting Jonah out after three days and three nights. I mean, what makes Jonah such a good story is that it has enough of these pieces that make it sound like a good Sunday school story. Uh, it draws you in and has just enough of what you expect. But once you get to chapter 3, well, you get to chapter 3, and you got to look and listen, and you start to realize, wait, wait, there's more going on in this story. Jonah has all these elements that are ridiculous and are really over the top when you think about them. And it's not just because Jonah is swallowed by a big fish, uh, cause, and people tend to get stuck there. Like, if you're going to know one thing about Jonah, it's going to have to do with getting swallowed by this big fish. But by chapter 3, it's obvious that Jonah is satire, that it's using irony and exaggeration uh, and humor and surprise to expose Jonah's character and ask some hard questions. Jonah, to go back to my traffic analogy, Jonah is the guy caught in traffic believe in zipper merch. Merging is in Seattle. I am offering free classes after the service on behalf of us all who get caught in traffic. I mean, Jonah is the one who shouts victory when his lane opens up, but doesn't give an inch to any. What is surprising in the story emerges clearly as an anti hero. 
He's not just like the reluctant prophet. He's the selfish prophet. Uh, He's a selfish prophet that celebrates God's mercy and sings when his own life is spared, but gets angry when God changes his mind and spares the people of Nineveh. So Jonah shows up, and he's really this inconsistent prophet. Uh, He's got this incredibly narrow view in what he celebrates and in what he expects from God and what he expects from people. And even though we expect, you know, for us, we come to the story and we expect that the one who follows God, the one who in the chapter is like reminding everybody that he worships God, I mean, this is the guy, Jonah's the guy that's like, hey, look, I worship God. He's got the t-shirt, you know, he's got the fish on the back of the car, he's got the Bible that he's carrying around. He's letting them know that he worships God. We expect that one to be the hero. But Jonah is not the hero. This is a story where the one who goes to church, the one who considers himself a good Christian, uh, that's not the one who gets it right in this story. The entire story of Jonah is filled with all these moments where he totally misses who God is and what God is about. And there are all these moments when it's the wrong people who get it right. So here we are, you're in chapter one of Jonah, and you can look and see it's the pagans who make Jonah look bad because it's the pagan sailors who try and save Jonah's life. And they start out, they're calling to any and all gods, and then they wake Jonah up because they're in a crisis moment. The storm is like really bad. Uh, and there's Jonah sleeping, Jonah trying to avoid responsibility, uh, and he's just sleeping and ignoring this massive storm. And Jonah says, he's like, look, okay, guys, look, I know it's my fault. Jonah, like, totally admits blame. He just says, I know it's my fault. And it says, the men knew that Jonah was fleeing from the Lord because he had told them. Jonah still doesn't call out to God, but says, just throw me into the sea. Jonah doesn't call out to God, says, throw me into the sea, says, I know it's my fault. But what you'll notice there is that it's the pagan sailors who turn to God. When we and someone praying to God, it's the pagan sailors who are the ones who ironically hear from and pray to God while Jonah continues trying to ignore and flee God's call. You immediately turn the page and you're in chapter two and here's Jonah in the belly of the great fish and he pulls out his, his iPod, no one has those, his iPhone, Uh, and he opens his Christian Spotify playlist, and he sings a song about God's mercy and deliverance. I mean, there he is, and he's singing this song, and he says, you know, don't lose your chance for God's mercy. He's singing about God's mercy, saying, don't lose your chance for God's mercy. You know, worshiping, doing what he does. You got to look at the details surrounding this and say, but wait, Jonah, do you hear the words coming out of your mouth right now? Do do you see the words and hear the words that you are singing right now? Who are the ones who are actually being the most attentive to God? Who are the ones and who is the one in need of mercy right now? Who is actually being responsible in the story? Who should be called faithful in 
story. Off in traffic and then gets road rage when he turns on his blinker wanting to merge in and no one lets him in. That's how Jonah keeps showing up. So who's the one missing it? Well, by chapter 3, the exaggeration, it gets turned up and the satire goes to next level. And Jonah, again, he's there and he hears God's call to preach. In but Jonah sounding rather lame actually does it. Uh, Jonah, he, he can't hide the fact that he actually despises these people. So when he finally does do what God says and goes into the city, and some say he like barely even goes into the city, he says, just 40 days more, Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, think about that. Like, how inspiring is that as a sermon? Uh, it's your 40-day countdown to destruction, I mean, come on, like, are you feeling moved right now with that as the message? I mean, that's it. It's a wonderful, transforming, life-changing message. Not really, but those, those are the words in Jonah's mouth. Well, here's what's interesting, is the response to that message is immediate, over the top. And Jonah's barely into the city when it says, and the people of Nineveh, uh, believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes from the greatest of them to the least significance. I mean, the Ninevites are so extra in the story, you have to take notice. Not only do they believe in God, but a decree goes out from the people and among the people saying, let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes and let them call upon God forcefully. I mean, this is a total, radical, transformational response that includes every person from every part of society. It includes everyone from the greatest to... They not only believe, they're not only giving lip service. It says they stop all of their evil behavior and violence. Like their lives, what they do, their behaviors, it's actually transformed and changed by this message. And as if to really rub it in how complete and how miraculous this all is, even the cows catch on. Uh, all the people and, it says, the animals participate. And here's what's so funny in the story. Over the centuries, religious people have tried to make Jonah come off like this really great hero. Like this person who is this good, God-fearing person. Uh, so they start to say things like, well, well, you know, Jonah, you know, clearly, clearly Jonah explained to the Ninevites how to repent and how to turn to... I mean, clearly, like, Jonah had, like, a lovely, welcoming, transforming, kind of, like, invitation to these people. Really? Says who? Uh, the Bible never gives Jonah so much credit. Uh, some pat Jonah on the back and say, you know, oh, what a good missionary Jonah became. You know, reluctant in the beginning, but obedient in the end. Look at how those pagan people turned to God. Yay, Jonah. But I want to ask you, is that what really happened as you look at the story? What we do know, looking at the story, is that Jonah is furious 
that the Ninevites respond this way. And he is more upset that God decides to not. He says, so God stopped planning to destroy them. But Jonah? Jonah thought this was utterly wrong, and he became angry. Jonah throws a temper tantrum and says, kill me now, God. So why is Jonah so angry? Well, one of the key clues that we have in this story is understanding that in this story, there are power dynamics and cultural barriers and biases at play. So the Ninevites in this story, the Ninevites are Assyrians. And these people are a different race and a different nation than Jonah. So you can look throughout scripture and you will see that there are psalms and prophetic words written about the Assyrians. We, we know them because they come up throughout scripture. So to Jonah, because they're Assyrians, they are pagans and idolaters. To Jonah, they are evil and they are violent. To Jonah, they are a real threat to national security, the national security of Israel bullies and imperialists and Jonah thinks they are undeserving. Jonah doesn't want anything to do with them. So Jonah himself says this to God. He says, come on Lord, wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier. I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God very patient, full of love, and willing not to destroy. I mean, this is not a praise song. In the lips of Jonah, this is not a praise song. This is an accusation. The way the Ninevites respond to God, it, it just seems to rub it in for Jonah. Just how far-reaching and complete God's patience, love, and mercy would be. That here's this God, that God so values people, that God would decide to be merciful and not destroy the Ninevites. I mean, how can God do that? Irony is that God reveals himself as this merciful and loving uh, God to Jonah over and over again, to Jonah's people over and over again throughout Scripture even though Jonah and Jonah's people throughout Scripture are stubborn and idolatrous and evil. God is merciful and loving and even spares Jonah's life when he blatantly disobeys God. So there's a question that comes up. Is Jonah better than the Ninevites? Is he more deserving? Are the Israelites more deserving of mercy than the Assyrians? Is one person or people group superior to another? Jonah is angry here that God is being true to himself. Jonah is having a crisis of belief because he doesn't want God to be God. And the punchline of the story is that God's love and mercy is not based on your goodness, your actions, your status. God's love and mercy is based on who God is and the value that God places on all human beings. 
in this story, God is the one who sees the Ninevites. God sees their humanity. God sees their value as people, the possibility and power of mercy and love to transform and to heal them. In God's eyes, what we see in this story is no human being is more or less valuable than any other human being. So God's loving mercy reaches, it says, from the greatest of them to the least significant. Every strata of society, every person, every people group, every race, ethnicity. Why? Because that's who God is. You know, sometimes one of the hardest messages for us to swallow, even those of us who identify as Christ followers and as churchgoers, is that God's love centered in Jesus has no circumference. God's love knows no limits and creates no hierarchies. There is no one in this room, no one on the live stream who is disqualified or unworthy from experiencing God's love and mercy. And there is no one that you will encounter in your neighborhood or walking up and down Aurora Avenue or in Safeway who is disqualified or unworthy from experiencing God's love and mercy. And uh, there is no one, I mean, hear me, because this keeps going. There is no one farther left than you or farther right than you who is disqualified or unworthy from experiencing God's love and mercy. There is no one with any kind of story who is disqualified or unworthy. Love and God's mercy. No matter what you've done, all that stuff that you know, there is no one who is unworthy or disqualified from receiving God's love and mercy. God's love and mercy, it crosses boundaries and it breaks down walls. And God's love and mercy reaches even to those people, whoever those people are for you. So if you're a human being in this room, which I think includes most of you, there's a few of you I'm not quite sure about. Online, I, I can't say. You're on your own. I'm going to guess that you're human beings if you're watching online. But I would bet you if you're a human being that there are certain people who get under your skin. People you just don't understand. People you avoid. People you think should just get it together. Yeah. People you think should just change or people you just hope won't stay the way that they are. People you find different, difficult, or disgusting. People who don't fit into your idea of who might change or who might respond or who might be deserving enough of God's love and grace. So this morning, I want to invite you to notice. Where is Jonah's story pushing you? Where is Jonah's story challenging you? Who are the people you see as undeserving? Where are you quick to get angry, impatient, and judgmental? Sometimes, you know, it's, it's overt. Sometimes it's like it's all over your face. It's like, whoop, there it is. Other times, it can be a lot more subtle. 
that. Sometimes you, you know why, and you're like, yeah, I, I know why this person is getting uh, under my skin. And then other times, you're like, yeah, I just, just can't quite put my finger on what it is about that person. There's just there's something about them. Here's another way to ask it. Who is your us and who is your them? Who do you see as your people and who do you see as those people? Where have you been called to be an agent of grace and yet you keep fleeing in the opposite direction? What about your own actions? Where do you withdraw or resist that person or those people? When you do that, where does that show you where you are resisting the work of God's grace? Are you letting God be God? Or are you angry that God isn't who you think God ought to be and how God ought to show up? And how God ought to be with that person or with those people. Now these, I know, are incredibly difficult questions to answer. And the point of parables and stories like Jonah, it, it's to ask the hard questions. Uh, and the thing about Jonah's story, if you read it from start to finish, is that it doesn't resolve them. It doesn't answer all of these questions easily. I mean, the story is this amazing cliffhanger to leave you wrestling. I want to encourage you with this. Our world and our neighbors are desperate for people who will ask hard questions like these. People who will address their own biases and people who will address their own brokenness. People who will look and see the dignity and value of all human beings everywhere and will believe and dare to believe in the power of God's love and mercy to actually change and transform them. That this is who God is and it's a mystery, but God's love reaches even there. So this morning as you're here and as you are on your gathering online, I want to ask you to not only receive God's mercy for yourself this morning, and would you please receive God's love and mercy for yourself this morning, because it's there for you. But also, would you generously love and share God's love and mercy with every human being that you encounter, every human being and animal? I mean, let that love flow. Let it flow out of you. Starting with your own neighbors, loving on, yes, your own family. Yes, even I'm going to say it into your Facebook community. Let your love flow anywhere and everywhere that you show up. Because that is your invitation and that is your calling. And that is who God is and that is how God's love and mercy is for all people, including us. Let's pray. Our gracious, loving, merciful God, we often pray those words, we sing those words, we say those words. But God, I pray that we would let those words sink in about just who you are. 
God, I pray this morning that for those who are here and those watching online, that each and every person would receive your love, your mercy, where all the places that we know that we have messed up, that we fall short, that we uh, have done things that we wish we wouldn't have done, where we struggle, where we're angry, where we're resentful. God, I pray that your mercy and love would reach out to each and every person and that you would just cover us and so love on each person. God, I pray that it wouldn't just end with those of us who are within earshot of these words. I pray that each one of us would be so filled with your love and grace and mercy and so aware of who pushed outside of our comfort zones that when we see those people, when someone gets under our skin or certain people get under our skin, we feel angry, resentful, doubtful. God, I pray that you would help us see how your love and your mercy and your grace reaches even to them. And would you call us and send us, God, agents of your love and grace? Would you call us to be the people who boldly go out and and generous? God, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. So would you fill in Jesus' name? Amen.